theguardian.co.uk. This podcast is produced in association with Guinness, official beer of the RBS Six Nations. Welcome again to our Six Nations podcast. I'm the Observer's Rugby Union correspondent, Michael Aylwin. It was a remarkable weekend of rugby. Delirium in Rome, followed by lawlessness in Cardiff, rounded off with some good old-fashioned doggedness in London. The Championship is now surely England's after their unconvincing win over Scotland. Will the Grand Slam follow? Wales are now the only side who could possibly catch them, even if they had to scatter the law book to the four wins to secure their win over Ireland. But let's face it, the game of the weekend was in Rome, where Italy recorded their first ever win over France. The tears flowed into the Tiber, and Mark Lievremore sounded as if he wouldn't have minded joining them there. What to say about it all? Here in the studio, I am joined by the Guardian and Observer's award-winning sports writer, Kevin Mitchell, and a key component of the sports department's nerve centre here at HQ, Claire Tolley, Deputy Features Editor. And to start the ball rolling on the subject of that torrid Calcutta Cup match at Twickenham, I'm delighted to say we have on the line a legend of Scottish rugby, multiple trophy winner with Wasps and the man who made ballroom dancing sexy again, (laughs) Kenny Logan. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to make podcasts sexy too. Thank you. Um, Now, that was the closest Scotland came to beating England at Twickenham since you were in your pomp in 1999. Mm. Was it their best performance of this year's championship? Yeah, it was. I mean, that was the sort of performance you were seeing six months ago, you know, against Italy, against England last year, Ireland, and obviously into Argentina. So we haven't really seen that. And, you know, the start of Six Nations, most Scottish fans, in fact, you know, I was speaking to Phil Vickery yesterday and Josh Lucy, and they all were very excited to see how well Scotland were going to do this year. And, of course, after the first game against France, we all thought, oh, it's quite good, you know, three tries in France. But then the Wales game absolutely killed the confidence struggled against Ireland but yesterday came back to some good form and seen some good players play well you know so what um, do you think change I mean was uh, one too many lashings from Andy Robinson and you just eventually up your game do you yeah well you can see him publicly how angry he gets I hate to see him in the changing room <laughs> you know, he, he's so passionate you know he is the most passionate Englishman I've ever seen and uh, he brings that passion to Scotland that's not hard is it Kenny and I think the, the big thing for me is the way that Scotland he's created an environment in Scotland where he wants them to be responsible for their performances and be proud of them and the last two I would think would be well below par and he's come back with a great performance and we've got to back it up next week to show that it was a bit of a blip yeah. in Scotland that a, you know, a team to be reckoned with but you know we, we do struggle at 10 and I think if we can get Rory Jackson I thought he played really well on Saturday and if we can get him to play 80 minutes like that and get his confidence up, we, we can be a force for the World Cup, in the sense that you know, we've got to play England in the World Cup. Yeah. And uh, the, the pleasing thing for me is, with two minutes to go, we're a try, we're, we can still win the match. And if we can get into the World Cup and do that, we've got a chance in every game. So what do you think they did that uh, stopped England uh, performing the way that they have done recently? Um, I think our defence was back to what our best was. We really yeah. put a lot of pressure on them. Flood was struggled, so did Young. He, he was running across the pitch a lot, and our defence was key. I mean, the guys like Richie Gray was outstanding, Barclay, and even when we went down to 14 men, Vernon obviously came on for um, Kelly Brown. I thought Alan Jacobson played really well up front, and, and uh, Ross Ford, so up front we played well. 
And you'd have been proud of Max Evans's little chip and gather? Fantastic, you know, sort of thing that you don't really see often from a Scottish Scotland player, never mind a winger, but he chipped it and great try, saw the, saw the opportunity and, uh, you know, right timing. So, it, again, for me, it showed that we're still willing to get back in the game. So let's turn to our home team here in the studio for a moment. Kevin, that's two ugly wins for England now. What's happened to all the swallow diving? Well, I think, as uh, Ken would no doubt agree, that international rugby played at its uh, hectic best, uh, unforgiving testing ground. You're going to get mistakes, and I think that happened. I think the Scottish pack especially made England make those mistakes. They weren't in it for the first 10 minutes. They just weren't there. So all of a sudden you've lost 10 minutes of an 80-minute contest, and yet you're 3-0 down and you're struggling to get even a foothold. And I think... Uh, the first half was pretty poor for them. They came back pretty well in the second. I, I think there was a little incoherence behind the scrum. I don't think Flood had one of his better games by any stretch. And it wasn't, it wasn't entirely his fault. I mean, he was harried as he was by the French uh, when he was substituted by Johnny Wilkinson. As well as he's played this season, I think that might be uh, a cause for concern for the management. Uh, James Haskell was the man of the match, Claire, and he called it uh, England's toughest game of the campaign so far. I mean, do you think that's a fair assessment of uh, Scotland's performance? I think certainly in terms of the fact that Scotland stopped England from playing, they weren't allowed, certainly in the first half, to be able to do what they've done so far in this tournament. I think they had a pretty hard time against France as well, to be honest, but they were able to get more of a grip on the game, and I don't think that England ever really, despite all the territory, despite the possession, that they ever really managed to do that. I mean, just Scotland got in among them so much, and that's definitely you know, I mean, like something for England to work on, isn't it, as Johnson was saying? I mean, the dynamic of the game was different, wasn't it, with the Scotland game? I mean, the France one, it was called beforehand as more of an even contest. And so, you know, you know, England knew that they had a battle royal on their hands to win it. With this one, unfairly on the Scots, it may be, but everyone seemed to think it was going to be a procession. And it's just so much harder uh, to turn things around. Kenny, do you, do you think uh, Scotland could have won it? I mean, uh, they were 16-19 behind with eight minutes to go. What do you think they could have done differently or, or were they uh, always struggling? You know, personally, <clears throat> I would have kept uh, Jackson on. He'd had a great drop goal in the first half, or the beginning of the second half, maybe it was, and he looked like really in, in control. So we brought a 10 on who can close games down and kick, kick goals and very good at drop goals, and he had one opportunity to keep us really close. I mean, I think the closest we might have got was a draw, maybe, because uh, yeah. we didn't really look like scoring much after Max Evans' try. But, you know, getting back to it, we said, talked earlier, just touched on how Scotland harassed them. Mm. And what I found was really good, and something that uh, Ireland are brilliant at, is the way that, and, you know, when, we ta- when you tackle somebody, they're immediately going to rip ball. Mm. You know, to, yeah. and they hold them up and they break down, don't they? Because mm. England have got this big physicality about them. Where they feel that they don't, that doesn't happen to them. And Scotland, who are they're not renowned for that, Ireland, O'Driscoll, you know, all these guys... Wallace, they go for ball and they rip the ball out of their hands and that's what would concern me as an Englishman. They lost a lot of ball to backs who were forwards. Mm. And the only one that really looks after ball is, is somebody like Easter. He, you know, he never gets the ball rip, ripped off him. And I think he lost one at the weekend. So that was one thing I was pleased with how Scotland played. But that's a concern for England because if they think that the Scotland game is a bit of a mess and around the rock here and a lot of pressure, Ireland will be better than we are. They're yeah. really good at that department, yeah. Driscoll and Darcy. And what about that yellow card? Because, I mean, let's face it, they scored the try, the crucial try, England, when uh, John Barkley was sent to the sin bin. 
there was some grumbling uh, afterwards that Nick Easter had done exactly the same thing uh, earlier in the game and not been uh, sent to the sin bin for it. I mean, take that yellow card out, you could argue that uh, England wouldn't have had their try and, you know, game well, on. Yeah, maybe. I, mean, I, I agree with that. But um, <clears throat> you've got to go with what happens. I think the referees are very inconsistent. You know, the scrummaging area, yeah. we were getting penalised and clearly um, they were bringing the scrum down. You know, you could see his shoulder pulling the scrum down and we were getting penalised. So there is an area of... Uh, I think the big thing, to be honest with you, is the referee. Right, yeah. Because I reckon if the referee had stayed on, you've got an English touch judge on the on the touch. You know, he's not going to put his flag in much when there's certain things happening. And Barkley going off was certainly yeah, something that yeah. uh, did affect us. But I thought we I thought we did really well when Barkley was off, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robinson should be a happier man uh, than he was after the last couple of outings. Um, well, the bottom line is, Kenny, uh, Scotland are on naught points. Uh, they have yeah, to beat exactly. an Italian team. They're on a bit of a crest of the wave at the moment if they want to avoid the wooden spoon. Yeah, I mean, I had it down to get with it, three wins this year. They're obviously, going into the game, a very disappointing championship for us. But a lot of good things have come out of it. Sean Lamont has come out as a really good 12 for yeah. us. And he's, I thought he played outstanding yesterday at 12. He, he took the ball up. Richie Gray. Um, I think the team will be really up for this week um, because they won't want the wooden spoon no. we've let ourselves down the Six Nations but I think the players um, if we can build on yesterday's performance we can show that these two games are a bit of a blip well we'll leave it there Kenny Logan thank you so much for joining us thank you very much uh, well we'll talk some more about uh, England when we look at the Ireland-Wales game but let's now talk about Italy uh, we knew they had courage and we've seen some flashes of class creeping in lately uh, but here we, we had them playing on their own terms when it mattered at the sharp end of a match and for the best part of half an hour. Uh, they went 18-6 down with half an hour to go and it was almost as if they went, so what? We'll play our way out of this. Um, do you think that was a defining victory for them, Claire? I think it's only going to be a defining victory if they then go and win against Scotland. I think you know there's been too many times where they've had what we've all referred to as a defining victory and expected them then to kind of develop off that, and they haven't done that. So I think it's really important, and I think it'd be a real shame for Scotland, obviously, because I think they deserve more than they've got out of this tournament. But I think um, for Italy, it's very, very important that they don't let this uh, be a one-off. Mm. I mean, I was there when they won their first match of the Six Nations against Scotland, and. Uh, Kenny was in that match. Kenny was in that match. It's just as well he's gone. Just as well. And uh, that was some evening in Rome that night. And yeah. you thought, wow, this is a, a great addition to, to this tournament. And for years and years and years, they wasted all their good stuff. In match after match. I mean, sometimes they got thumped. But even when yeah. they played well, they used to blow it a lot. On, on Saturday, they didn't. And I thought that was really encouraging. Like, their discipline was a lot better. Yeah, because, I mean, they've basically been a team of scrappers with mm. Sergio Parise in it. Uh, now they've got... Oh, and Martin Castro-Giovanni, give him his due. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we had Canali coming, stepping up to it. We had Andrea Massi playing a fantastic game. Um, you know, if they can get more of these players... I thought Robert Barbieri in the back mm. row, That's Alessandro Zani. Yeah. You know, if they can get more and more of these players to support uh, Parise, well, if they can get enough of them up to his standard, that makes them as good a team as any. Absolutely. I mean, if you've got players who... Are International class, say seven or eight really, really good world class players in any team, or maybe three or four, 
you know, you're in there with yeah. a shout. Yeah. Um, uh, rugby, particularly because it's such a team effort. Mm, you need the spine of a team, don't you? When you yeah. look at it, and I think that's sort of you know, Italy have obviously had Parisi at eight, but you know they've, they've I mean they struggle so much with like sort of their twelve, their fifteen throughout it, and I think you know, if they can get players who can play week in, week out during a Six Nations tournament where they're able to perform at that kind of level, then, yeah, they are going to be beating teams like uh, possibly even Ireland, England, maybe again. England? (laughs) Never. (laughs) But the Italians are facing an interesting conundrum on the coaching front because Jacques Mm. Brunel, uh, the current coach of Perpignan, clearly Mm. seems to think he is joining the Italian coaching team as boss after the World Cup. He's already told uh, his players and indeed made it public that uh, that's what he intends to do. Uh, but Nick Mallet has also said he wants to stay on, and let's face it, he's got quite a compelling case now. I mean, how do the Italians get around this one? Well, Nick carried the emotion after the match, didn't he? he was crying his eyes out. Yeah, that was a man who wanted Fuminese. to stay on. <laughs> it was amazing, yeah. What a job application that was. Yeah. And with, with good cause, I think. I mean, he's, he's done a pretty good job in, in, you know, very difficult circumstances there. He's obviously committed to the cause. Yeah. And it's not as if, it, you know, he couldn't get a good job anywhere else. I mean, he's a pretty good coach. Mm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the way uh, the Italian rugby structure thinks about things like this, whether they've got a football mentality down there uh, of sacking coaches uh, right. to get results or not, whether they're prepared to uh, stick with Mallet. I, I hope they do. I don't think there's been a lot of realism in the past um, in terms of when Italy have changed their coaches in and out. And I remember thinking that John Cohen was quite hard done by. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, you've got to look at what you have in front of you and where you're trying to go and, you know, how you're trying to get there. And I think Mallet has kind of, you know, like you said, he's stuck by these players. I mean, he's had a lot of difficulty trying to come up with a fly half who's going to be able to mm-hmm. fulfil his game plan. And I still don't think um, he's really there, to be honest. But, you know, you've got to work with what you've got, mm. haven't you? So. Talking of coaches, uh, we've got to talk about Mark the Overmore. Um, whatever we say about his team, I mean, the man himself is priceless. Uh, this is just a couple of the things he said after the match. I was ashamed. I do not have the impression we asked the players to walk on the moon. I do not ask for complicated things. This match was an hallucination. The players invented things on the pitch. If I had a rope, I would hang myself. The French Federation might just give him one, Kev, do you think? Well, how do you follow a coach like this over the last two or three seasons. Nobody knows what he's going to do. I mean, some of those players mustn't even know each other very well. I would love to know what his rugby thinking is about the way he picks that side. It hasn't got rhyme nor reason to it. I will defend him by saying that uh, France are the only team, this Six Nations, the previous weekend, they lost all but two of their players to club rugby. Uh, Mm. They all played... For their clubs the previous weekend. The only uh, French team that uh, didn't field its Six Nations players was Racing Metro, who, funnily enough, had five starting players in the Italian team. Again, Lee Avermore said they came back in a complete mess. They were horrific in training on Monday mm. and Tuesday. I don't know what to do with them. I mean, he is dealing with something that all the other countries have now sorted out. Yeah, and he's not happy about it, is he? And he keeps coming out um, again and again, and, you know, but they don't see, uh, show any signs of changing that mentality, do they? There's this huge um, row between them and uh, doesn't see, seem to be any sign that uh, that will get sorted out anytime soon. You so, still need coherence, though. Like when he's the Julia of rugby. Mm. Yeah, it's not rotation system he's got. It's a, it's a chaos system. <laughs> it's unbelievable, honestly. I, and, and club rugby in France is so important. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, Star were going on the week before about 
you know, uh, Martin Johnson not letting a couple of players go to play. Yeah, they, they really do value their club rugby. And I, and I think he is, that's the only defence. He is in a, a hard place with that one. Yeah. But it is also a sense of him abdicating some responsibility for um, what happened in Rome. I'm sorry, but, you mm. know, I've been a big defender of Mark Lee Evermore's for a you know, good few years when people were sort of criticising his rotation system. And I felt kind of a, a bit let down on um, Saturday, to be completely honest, when he came out with all of that lot. I was just like, well, yeah, but, you know, man up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I just remember, I, I mean, I think we'd be losing a little jewel if he goes. I mean, I know we can be more impartial about it over here, and I'm sure if he were coaching my team, I might feel rather differently. But hes uh, I remember watching him walking uh, on the pitch before the game. His tie was at half-mast. He just looked a million dollars, and he didn't look like a bloke whose job was on the line, frankly. <laughs> They've got so many amazing players, though, haven't they? And they just don't seem to make the most of them. I think that's the most disappointing thing that, you know, when you have the Grand Slam champions performing in a way that they did on Saturday, you just think, well, and again against Australia, you think, well, how can that happen? And how on earth can those players go out and play for him next weekend against Wales? Well, I'll give him one thing. He's the best-looking coach in the Six Nations. Um, well, I think Nick Mallett might have something to say about that. Oh, really? <laughs> I'll leave you to discuss that. <laughs> oh, we'll have a word about that afterwards. Yes, yeah, so the French, God knows what's going to turn up uh, this weekend. One has to wonder what's going to happen uh, when they take on Wales. So uh, let's look at that uh, Welsh victory over Ireland. Only the second time they've beaten them in Cardiff since 1983. And on the line now is a man I bet wishes he had been playing, or maybe not, uh, injured Ireland fullback Jordan Murphy. Hello, Jordan. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, coming on well. How's the, uh, when, when, do we, when can we expect you back? Um, I'm hoping to be back mid-May. Uh, I'll go back and see the surgeon again in the first week in April and hopefully have some pins and screws removed. And yes. after that, it's really just a uh, sort of a race against time to try and get fit for the end of the season. OK, well, best of luck with that. Now, Thanks Jordan... You was robbed, wasn't you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty harsh, really. Um, it was a very close game. And, you know, I suppose the, the frustrating thing is, you know, I think referees will always make mistakes. I think that's the nature of the game. But, you know, I think, that, you know, with the advent of video technology and, and, you know, particularly with Brian O'Driscoll asking the referee, was it the same ball? And it, it's just, it's human error. Um, and it's disappointing, you know. I think the frustrating thing from a playing point of view is that, you know, there doesn't seem to be any really repercussions for for referees when they you know when they have bad games you know I think players have a, a, a have the possibility of being dropped or replaced or you know not used again but you know it doesn't seem to be to really and be any uh, repercussions for referees when they make bad decisions or you know perform poorly or so perform poorly. <laughs> do you do you think um, Kaplan and uh, Peter Allen should be hung out to dry? What do you think um, should happen to them? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think there should be some sort of a reprimand. You know, whether what extent that is, you know, maybe, you know, not performing at the same level or having to, you know, work your way back up to, you know, to being given international fixtures. And, you know, I think that definitely is the case. You know, I think most rugby players, you know, will certainly at some stage of their career come across some poor decisions in refereeing. And, you know, as I said, it can be very frustrating. Were you with the team over the weekend? I wasn't with the team. I went down to Cardiff just as a spectator. I called into the team hotel and, and caught up with the guys on, on the Friday night pre-match. Right. Um, the mood in the camp was really good and everyone was you know, really looking forward to the game. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, I, I watched the game and I was going to try and catch up with a few of the guys afterwards, but I think they were uh, all pretty uh, yeah, down after the result. Yeah. You know, I think really just focusing on the, on, the, on the big game this weekend they have against England. So have you had any feedback from any of them about uh, what the mood was like in the ch- changing room afterwards? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think they'll probably be disappointed. I think, you know, even on, on top of, you know, a couple of decisions going against them, they still could have uh, uh, won the game, you know, a couple of mistakes and, and they, you know, a couple of, you know, a little bit of a, uh, inaccuracy in, in, the, in the Welsh 22 probably cost us. So, mm. you know, I think the guys will be disappointed. You know, they won't really focus on, on the refereeing decision too much. Obviously, that is a disappointment. But, you know, I think more so they'll be disappointed with the way we played. And, you know, we'll definitely have to play a lot better this weekend against, you know, a very strong English side. Uh, Kevin, you have Irish blood coursing through your veins. You're also, of course, a consummate professional. Uh, were you screaming blue murder at the officials? Well, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't sort of directly involved in it and was just, just watching it because, uh, it, you know, especially if that were a football match, Alex Ferguson would have absolutely had a heart attack. I mean, r- rugby, fortunately, has an amazing capacity to, to uh, maybe not totally forgive, but to understand some of these things. There's a culture of, of not uh, lambasting the, uh, the referee, certainly on the field. Uh, I take Jordan's point. I think there should be there should be some sort of action. It's, it seems a bit odd that the that there's not. I mean, I think there's going to be an apology apparently from the IRB. To well, Ireland. that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, how many points does that work? I mean, that's ridiculous. What was poor about that was the the lack of communication between the referee and the linesman because it was he said was that the right ball? He didn't say was it the same ball. Now, he, he answered instantly, and it was clearly, it could not have been the same ball. Well, he couldn't have seen Because the, the, that, the first ball was so far away. But all that said, you know, uh, and the injustice of the of the try, etc., you have to really put that uh, to one side. You have to look at the game in a totality. Yeah. And, and Ireland didn't take their chances. I thought some of the kicking early on was pretty ordinary. Agara wasn't really on song early. So, you, you know, you, you lose out if you're not precise in rugby. Mm. Uh, and I think they paid for that, really. Uh, Jordan, I mean, Ireland did have other chances to win the game. Uh, the referee, again, didn't do you any favours uh, moments later uh, when he ruled Donica O'Callaghan's pass Luke uh, Fitzgerald uh, forward. And then Johnny Sexton fluffed the subsequent uh, shot at goal that would have drawn you level. Paddy Wallace ignored Keith Earls on the overlap right at the death. I mean, should Ireland be kicking themselves? Should they have won? Yeah, I, I think we were good enough to win. I mean, in saying that, you know, we made a lot of mistakes. We were in the Welsh 22 probably three or four times and came away without points. In full credit to the Welsh, you know, they defended very, very well. So it's very, very difficult. You know, I suppose it's a tough question of being Irish and, you know, knowing the guys. Yeah. I always think that, you know, we, we probably should have won it. But, you know, as a Welsh supporter, you could probably turn around and say, well, you know, we weren't good enough on the day. Now, certainly we made mistakes and we were naive at times. Um, we played some good rugby, but uh, you know, I think the overall feeling will, uh, from an Irish point of view is that, you know, we could have performed better. And, you know, you can complain about results of the referees and whatnot, but, you know, we probably left it out there on the field. So, mm. you know, no one will, will remember these things down the line. They'll just remember the results. And, uh, you know, I think, as I said, you know, Ireland will try and focus on the positives and, and, and just look forward to, you know, trying to uh, spoil an English party next week. Uh-huh. Uh, Claire, you were at the match. We might question the try that clinched it, but do you think Wales were worth the win or was the bull boy their best player? <laughs> I think Wales were worth it in the sense that Ireland should have won it, as we've um, already discussed, but Wales, you know, just kept plugging away. And uh, in terms of their resolve, I think they kind of deserved it um, at the end of the day. I think Wales will be... Hmm. If not disappointed, I don't think they offered a lot in attack. I think they had a you know, policy of containment and also, I mean, they played the territorial game, didn't they? They wanted to play down yes. where, you know, where Ireland were. I wasn't entirely sure why they picked James Hook if that was the way they were going to play. Yeah. But, you know, and I thought Ireland, um, actually, however good Sam Warburton was, I thought Ireland kind of had the measure of them in contact, to be perfectly honest. And I think that is a worrying thing for England next week. Well, Jordan, how are Ireland going to go about beating England? I mean, there's been a lot of talk over England's 
centres. Uh, they may be down one. Uh, they may be down two. Uh, both Tyndall and Banahan uh, questionable for the match. You, on the other hand, have got one of the game's best centre pairings. Is that an area you're going to target? I think so. You know, I think first and foremost it's going to come down to a forward battle this weekend. You know, I think the way England are playing at the moment, they really need to get forward dominance. You know, to get the ball the ball to their outside backs, um, which are you know are hugely threatening runners. Um, so first and foremost, Ireland will have to compete up there and, and you know really try and stop England getting any sort of forward momentum. But you know, I expect it to be a very very tight game. You know, I think the way Scotland played against England showed that if you defend really really well, that you can you know really put them under pressure. And, and they certainly, I think, the Irish will you know look to. You know, take a, a huge amount from the Scots. You know the way they defended, and, and they, uh, I think Ireland probably you know pose a little bit more a uh, danger to, to England with you know the strength of the backline. I mean, there's quite a lot. Well, it's a huge amount on the line for England. There's a huge amount on the line for uh, Ireland too. I mean, Declan Kidney must be getting a bit jumpy. Do you think? I don't think Declan will be, will be you know too jumpy. I think everyone will want to beat England. I mean, it didn't matter if Ireland yeah. had a tri- triple crown on the line. Or you know, if Ireland had lost every game before now, you know the, the fact is, is that you know England, England will be coming into into Dublin, you know, to win a Grand Slam, and, and Ireland will be very very keen to spoil that party. Um, and you know, I, I think you know, a lot of teams will, will tell you, you know, if you know the season doesn't go too well and you manage to beat England, it's you know it's not too bad of a season. So it's a big game for for the team. It's a big game for the management, and I think they'll be really focused on, on that. You know, as of uh, today. Right, everyone. I want two answers from each of you. Firstly, who's going to win the wooden spoon? And secondly, will England win the Grand Slam? Kevin? I think uh, Scotland are good enough to avoid uh, that dreadful fate. And I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, Ireland are going to surprise people next weekend. Right. Claire? Uh, very dully, I think exactly the same. <laughs> the same. I don't think that Ireland can lose three games in the Six Nations, and I think that is going to be very much on their mind. And I actually think they've got quite, apart from um, what happened in 2003, I think they've got a pretty good record in uh, Dublin against England. Jordan, you're surely going to disagree with that. You know, it's a very, very difficult one. I think the Wales result against Ireland you know, hopefully will motivate Ireland, but I am... Um, I really don't know. I, I think, you know, England look very good. They look very, very confident. And if they can get their tactic right, it, it'll be very, very difficult for Ireland. And saying that, my heart has to go with my own country. Uh, and I think, you know, the result up in, uh, between Scotland and Italy will be very, very close. But I, I think Scotland will probably be a little bit too strong. So, no Grand Slam for England. You heard it here first. My thanks to Jordan Murphy, Claire Tolley and Kevin Mitchell. Uh, our last programme will be next Tuesday when Robert Kitson will be picking over the action and throwing things forward to the World Cup. I'm Michael Elwin, and our producer is Tim Maybe. Enjoy the last weekend of the Six Nations. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Visit our special website to win tickets for you and your mates, plus watch player videos and join in live web chats at guardian.co.uk slash guinness rugby 2011. Get your mates together for a Guinness this RBS Six Nations.